take the opportunity to learn a product really, really, really well that you know that you can demo at any day of the week. Send a follow-up to that hiring manager. Hey, I'd love to show you a presentation that I've had. If given the opportunity, this is something that I can repeat at your company. Here are the top three things that, you know, looking at your website, I think would be important to highlight. Shows you did your homework, but also gives them a taste of how you interview, your presentation style, uh, how you are as a public speaker, and then, you know, that they might consider moving you quicker than someone who's just sending in their resume. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Techniques Tips. I'm your host, Joseph M. Smith here, and we're back again for another edition of this. I just want to say, first and foremost, thank you to everybody that has been sending me a lot of get well thoughts and prayers and wishes as I have been basically overcoming overcoming the uh, Ramsey Hunt syndrome. Uh, <laughs> it's giving me a different smile. But uh, besides that, I, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, I'm happy, and I'm thankful to be here with you and have another day to bring another great interview that I think would be a blessing to a lot of people, specifically those that are trying to kind of navigate this space to become a sales engineer. I have none of them them with me, Manny Cruz. What's up, Manny? How are you doing? I'm doing well, Joseph. Super, super thankful to be here. And, you know, um, definitely one of the people that are hoping that you're getting better. I know that, you know, feeling under the weather is never great. So happy to have you here. Happy to be here and happy to have this conversation. Man, I, I'm, I'm glad as well. A lot has improved. You know, there's still some ways to go. Uh, half of my face is still kind of somewhat paralyzed, but I am I'm, I can talk, <laughs> which was and talk clearer than I could before. So I'm very happy about that. It's the little things. It's it's the little things that are pretty big. So so thank you again. Uh, with that being said, though, I want to transition right into it. I want to get into it because we had a really good uh, time to talk prior to this and what you had to share. I would love to just like pick up from right there. Uh, first of all, congrats. Uh, I don't want to date this video, but you have a lot going on with you. And I would just love, love for you to tell people a little bit about yourself right now, where yeah. you are, and also what you're doing. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, I am quite a busy person, love staying busy. Maybe it's the New Yorker in me. But for those of you who don't know me, my name is Manny. I am originally from New York City. I've been working as a sales engineer for about four or five years at various uh, tech startups generally more international focused startups. I work for a German startup, a UK based startup, and I work for an American startup and starting a new job on Monday. So all really excited. <laughs> uh, one thing to also know as a fun fact is I love languages. That comes really, really, really uh, clutch, I guess I'd say, <laughs> when, when talking with customers from different parts of the world, especially at international startups. I speak English, Spanish, and French and studied five other languages. Ooh. The languages are kind of my thing. And I've also been working as an instructor for the last, uh, say, nine months at Learnful. So Learnful is a boot camp for students who want to learn about sales engineering, and of course, you're mentored by some of the top, uh, you know, SCs in the game, if you will. We got people who come from HubSpot, myself, and then um, we have some really, really, really dedicated mentors who are also in the SC world, um, but really help you kind of one-on-one -on -one in your alone time become a better SC as you are taking the boot camp. Nice, nice. And I have to acknowledge the fact that we are both native New Yorkers. I grew up and was <laughs> born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, most of my life. Nice. So uh, that's that's good. And and, and I, I'm 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 not gonna guess where did you grow up? 
in New York? I mean, maybe you should guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, I feel like I'm, I might get too specific here. Were you were you off of the four five train? Four train, yeah, absolutely. green line. So you were by Yankee green Stadium. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's literally my stop. Wait, way to go! Actually, no one ever gets the Bronx. Uh, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm born and raised New Yorker from the Bronx. Super, super proud of being from the Bronx uh, and have lived a little bit all over the place: uh, Miami, Florida, Berlin, Paris, and New York. Wow, that's amazing. Are you a polyglot? Like, you just, just <laughs> all these languages. I'm like, my goodness. I don't like, consider myself one, but a lot of people tend to think so. I mean, you're special because I, I struggle with Spanish <laughs> still, and I've been studying that since middle school. And I'm like, man, I love the food. I mean, I can say a morisanando, I can say a couple of things, and lie, <laughs> but otherwise, I, you know, chicho de pollo, but besides that, I'm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let, let's talk about that. Growing up in the Bronx, how did you get into sales engineering? Because I'm very curious about that. Yeah, you know, it's really funny. I studied everything to do with the complete opposite. So mm. basically, since I was six, one of the things that always interested me were people, cultures, languages, you know, uh, politics to a certain degree. And so what was important for me was always doing something that helped others. I wasn't exactly sure what that was going to be. But from a really, really early age, I knew that it wanted to involve languages. And so I actually ended up studying uh, in college in my bachelor's degree, political science and Arabic. And then I got my master's in intercultural conflict management. So from a studying perspective, it really went with what I thought I wanted to do, which at one point was work at the UN, work in politics. And as I was doing um, my bachelor's and was ready to get my first job at a college, as most people do, I ended up getting a job, which was a sales management rotational program at a company called Avaya. They're a pretty large telecoms company. Some of you might know Cisco. They're, they're our largest competitor in the US. And so wow. I got to understand a lot about business as a whole. I worked in sales. I worked in customer success. I work in what's called technical customer success. And that is where I realized I knew nothing about technology. And I was just so out of my depth and I felt, I felt uncomfortable. And mm. it's something that I had never felt before. And the reason, you know, I felt that is because most of my life, anytime I learned something, it came fairly easily. However, that wasn't the case when it had to do with tech. And even, you know, going to college, I took an intro to computer class and I almost failed that and was like, I'm never going to do anything to do with technology or computers. Um, but as I had my first job, it, sent, it seemed to me that everyone spoke in code. Everyone knew, you know, what a certain acronym was, you know, what, what a POC was. And I was like, a person of color? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and so all yeah. these words and phrases and acronyms just made me feel so out of the loop. And it was a feeling I had promised myself I never wanted, having been born and raised in the Bronx, where I always felt you know, a little bit like that. And so mm. I, I wanted to learn something technical at that point. I just wasn't sure what that was. And while I was doing this, I had also been applying to my master's program in Germany. I decided to go to Germany to do a, a, a master's of arts in intercultural conflict management. But while I was there, I still knew I want to learn something technical, even if I work in politics. The idea at that time was that even if I work in politics, all jobs are becoming more technical. I should learn something. Mm. So I had been volunteering for three years at a refugee shelter. 
Um, and while I was volunteering at the refugee shelter, I became aware of a program that taught refugees to code. So programming web developer. Um, and I just spoke to the, the, the person who was heading the program. And I told them that I was really interested in learning how to code, but I was a student. I certainly didn't have the $25,000 that it costs to take that program. It was a one-year boot camp, so much, much longer than traditional. And I basically bartered. I said, listen, here are some set of skills that I have. You, a lot of tech jobs in Germany, especially in Berlin, are in English. Most of the people that you're training don't have English as a second language. I'm happy to help with coaching, with you know, mock interviews, with resumes, with cover letters, whatever you need. I'm happy to help throughout this entire year. Oh, so you do German yeah, as well? Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> not fluently, not fluently, but after living there for three years, I could definitely have some conversations. Oh my. Yeah. And so I basically bartered and, and I was able to learn how to code for free. And I, you know, ended up giving up the, you know, helping them with the skills that I had that I already knew that I had and that, that I was good at. And then I just started applying for jobs after that. But one thing to know is when I had my first job out of college, I met a sales engineer. So I had heard the term. I just didn't know what they did. Uh, to me, I thought, they were, I thought they were an engineer. The, the person I had met looked like he was coding all day. So for me, I was like, okay, there's no difference. I ended up finding a job for a German company in New York, and they wanted their first sales engineer. And I applied and was really lucky that I got it. But I also played to the strengths that had nothing to do with technology and everything to do with the cultural element, the fact that I lived in Germany for three years, the fact that I was I spoke some German and made the, uh, I would almost say, strong, um, presumptuous assumption that no one in the New York office spoke German. And I was right. But I made that assumption and, and, and said that in the interview, like, I imagine no one here speaks German or understands German culture. As someone who's lived there here for three years, I think that would be one of my strongest assets taking aside or away from, from like the technical uh, requirements for this job and I ended up getting it. So I got really lucky. Oh, wow. wow. so let me ask you this, because a lot of people like, first of all, it's so funny because the ability to tell a good story has been a pattern that I've seen for a lot of people trying to get into tech. Mm -hmm. it, has, it, it even almost supersedes some of the technical knowledge, now, obviously, depending on what kind of field you're going to step into having technical knowledge is definitely a prerequisite. But in regards to certain like sales roles, pre-sales roles, especially the ability to tell and convey a great story has been key. So, so would you say that that was your experience, the ability to convey the story about who you are to this company was what really landed you in that role? You know, I definitely would say that that's the case. Storytelling is so important. I don't know that I was good at that, at that moment. To be oh. honest, <laughs> you know, I, I can't look back and say, you know, my storytelling ability was certainly what got me hired. I think for me, it was at an even more basic level, being able to connect what my my current skills are to, you know, what it is I want to do and how I'm going to add value. So less mm. so storytelling in this in this particular instance, but it's all value based, you know, and to a certain degree, telling a compelling story. Sure. But it's all. What is the value you have today? How am I delivering to this job? And I think when you think, tell me about yourself, you know, when, which is the first question you asked me, that's one of the things that you want to connect the dots for, right? What did you do? How, what are you doing today? And like, where do you want to go? And I think that's, that's, uh, 
that formula and knowing how to answer that correctly is so incredibly important when you're transitioning. Wow, absolutely. Connecting the dots. And speaking of connecting the dots, <laughs> now we're going to connect the dot to you like, oh, wait, I landed this role. Oh, man, I kind of know what SE is. Oh, how am I going to break through? Like, how did, talk about the, that, that, that going from interviewing to land the job and now you have to execute. What was going through your mind? <laughs> Well, I'm sure, as you know, as a fellow New Yorker, we're kind of raised with the, the mentality of test me, try me, I can do it as long as you give me the opportunity. And, you know, to a certain degree, kudos to us and how we're raised, but to another, you know, in, in another, I guess, thought, we're, it's difficult. It's tough. Like we think we can almost do everything. And you start something. And I will say imposter syndrome was just so strong for the I would say for, for the first probably two years of me being an SE, mm. even when I got feedback from my managers that I'm doing great, it was always like, is today the day that they're going to find me out? Is today the day that I'm going to be let go because they're going to realize I'm actually not good at this job? Wow. Even when I dealt with our top enterprise accounts, you know, even when I set new milestones. So I think it was incredibly difficult. And I think the biggest part for me was still getting over the fact that I don't have or didn't have a technical background. Yeah. And I knew so many SEs that did. So it always ma made me feel so out of depth when we were in rooms or conversations together. Mm. Mm. So what you said two years in, imposter syndrome is still there. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, even on v VP levels or even higher, uh, they they mm. still feel imposter syndrome whenever they're in certain situations that make them feel uncomfortable. For sure. When, when did you kind of get to that place where you're like, okay, I got this. I know what I'm talking <laughs> about. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, on the one hand, it's learning to be kind to yourself. Mm. One thing that I had to mention that I do want to touch on is when you're, you know, black, brown, uh, LGBTQ plus, or you come from a minority background, that imposter syndrome lays a little bit heavier. Um, and it's, it's there a little bit more because typically when you look at management, they don't look like you. And so I think that there's more of that thought going, you know, in, in the back of your mind, because at the end of the day, you can work in a lot of places and a lot of people at the bottom look like you, but not at the top. So there's always mm -hmm. that maybe I'm not good enough. Um, but how did it get better for me? I made a decision that I wanted to be kind to myself. And I knew that there were things that I was maybe never going to be amazing at, but there are things that I am good at today or great at today. And so it was making a list of the things that I wanted to get better at and having a plan on how to, you know, overcome where I felt uncomfortable. So for example, talking about single sign-on was something that I, I struggled with. Like, what was that? How does it work? What is SAML 2.0? What is OIDC? no clue. And so I literally just read up on a lot of documentation, things that were explained a little bit in a more complex manner, things that were like SSO for dummies. And it's like, am I getting this correct? And one of the other things that I started doing a lot of was volunteering myself to add value to the company in other ways, one of mm. which was onboarding. So I started creating a lot of content for onboarding specifically for sales engineers or sales in general. And that's how I think I started becoming a little bit more comfortable in my own skin of one, I'm not only good at this, I definitely know that this is a place for me to be. I'm excelling as a sales engineer. Other people appreciate my work. And I know that I can add value from also, you know, teaching things to others, even if it's not something I 
100% understand today, but I know, you know, a, a core skill set for sales engineers is breaking complex uh, ideas into simple ones. So even if it's just doing that and then teaching others something, um, that's something that I think really helped me get away a little bit from the imposter syndrome. Every once in a while, it'll creep up and kind of tell itself to, to you know, to, to go back off. <laughs> shoo, shoo you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is real, man. I mean, I, I experienced it as an STR and, and it shows up in different ways. Sometimes, and from my experience, imposter syndrome can show up in the sense like, man, I don't know what I'm doing, whatever the case may mm -hmm. be. But then it also could show itself as becoming that overachiever. Like, mm -hmm. I need to be extra, extra, extra so that they yes. can, so they, I can be safe and not exposed, <laughs> you know, when, <laughs> when really you are, you, they hired you for a reason. And, exactly. And I think that that's something that the audience could really take is that if you're in that position, you're, you're hired for a reason. So that leads me to like, you've, you've obviously been a part of being an SE for a while. How many years have you been in the game in regards to being an SE for the audience? And you could talk about yes. your career all the way to when you connected with Nigel. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a little over five, five and a half years, five years, something like that. I connected with with Nigel on LinkedIn sometime la last year. Last I think it was December, maybe it was November, November, December around then. So it's almost going to be a year now. Mm -hmm. And he reached out to me about Learnful. One of the things I've always wanted to do was maybe myself, you know, work on creating some sort of academy or a space for sales engineers. But you know, I met Nigel. He told me his mission. I think there was a lot of similarities of what I wanted to do and what he's doing. And I also want to work in a space for black, brown, you know, LGBTQ plus people. <clears throat> Typically, when you look at sales engineers, they don't always look like us. And when I look at all the teams that I've been on, I've generally been one of the only minority people there. And so I think changing that is so incredibly important for me. And one of the things that I've been doing at a nonprofit is volunteering as a leadership coach for underprivileged university students who potentially may want to break into tech or just want to get a high paying job out of college. So I was already doing that to a certain degree, but I also wanted to impart the knowledge that I had from a sales engineer uh, and, you know, from my experience and all the things that I wish people would have told me when I started. Cause one thing I didn't note was my first job, I had very little training. I was the first sales engineer in New York. And the only person I had was my boss in Germany who came over for two weeks uh, to the US with, along with a coworker, they kind of gave me a breakdown in two weeks. And then I was kind of by myself learning one, what SEs do at the same time I was learning everything about a product, how to become wow. an SE, so on and so forth. That is, that is tough. So you started off, and this is something that I'm seeing a trend in where co companies that are established internationally are kind of starting over in the U.S., yes, but basically you were like the guinea pig, <laughs> for lack yeah. of a better word, like absolutely. And this leads me to another question. I I I want to kind of and just to go just to go back because some people may not know, Nigel is a principal sales engineer at HubSpot, and yes. he has been in the field for quite some time. I had an interview with him not too actually a while ago, but go ahead and check that live for the audience. Go ahead and click on the link where I actually have. Uh, it should be somewhere here where you're going to see a flash that says, hey, live with Nigel talking about Learnful. Definitely check this out because this is a, that's a great precursor 
to this conversation. So when I said Nigel, that's the person I was referring to, Nigel from HubSpot, the founder of Learnful. Uh, the, and my question I wanted to ask you now is because this is, the, I'm going to be just transparent and honest, and I know that you're, uh, you're all for it. When it comes to the SE position, there have been a lot of people that have been encouraged to go that route only to find out, man, this is not necessarily as entry level as being an SDR like I am or a BDR. This is something that's a little bit more intricate and a little bit, it requires a little bit more maneuvering and networking in order to land a position. What would be, if not one, two, maybe three tips that you could give somebody trying to break into this field? And then we're going to talk about yeah. Learnful after that. Yeah, absolutely. I think obviously number one is something that you'll hear, you know, pretty much everywhere, but it's tap into your network, create stronger networks if you don't have them. Um, one thing that was really clear to me, you know, as someone who grew up in the Bronx is that my network was not really someone who's going to get me a sales engineer job. Um, mm. Most of the people I knew weren't in tech. And so learning how to create stronger networks is something that you really need to be intentional about, you know, Join communities. Uh, there's, for example, Pre-Sales Collective is one of the largest um, pre-sales communities out there. There's also Sales Engineering of New York. Like, there's so many that you can Google, look up the region that you're in and see if they have an even more condensed or localized sales engineering chapter or organization. The other is look at the places that you want to work, find people on the team, and try connecting and, and developing a genuine relationship with these people. There are so many sales engineers that I've become friends with on LinkedIn that I've never met once in my life face-to-face, -face, right? So it's, it's all about networking. And that sounds so cliche, but few people want to put themselves out of their comfort zone. In fact, I've met so many people who want to become an SD and say, but I don't really like putting myself out there. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you, you need to ask yourself, how are you going to be an effective SE to a certain degree when you don't want to do that? Because especially when we talk about getting a role, it's, you, you really need to put yourself out there. So that's tip one. Tip two, I would say, is don't apply the old-fashioned way. Like, don't expect that you're going to get a call for an entry-level SE role simply because you found an SE role on a website and applied. That's generally mm. not going to happen. So you, you need to be, you, need, you know... Um, you need to be really thoughtful when you apply. And so what I suggest uh, for a lot of people is find or use a job board, something like Pre-Sales Collective, for example, they have a job board. Another that I really like is WellFound. It targets mainly startups, but they do have some sales engineering roles. Another that I liked is Built-In. They have Built-In New York, Built-In Florida, Built-In a whole bunch of different states. You can also um, easily go ahead and look for jobs for sales engineering and certain degrees of experience. But the reason why I love WellFound is that they generally tell you who the hiring manager is. I never apply there. So I would look there, look for the information, find who the hiring manager is, go to LinkedIn, and then send them a short Loom video on why it'd be a great fit. So again, think out of the box, don't apply the same way. And then the third that I would say as well from a tip perspective is be strategic and intentional. Mm. Uh, I've definitely done the apply to 900 jobs in like X amount of months. And it's incredibly draining. What I generally like to tell people is, you know, apply to a couple of places that you're not maybe the most interested in. So if you do get by, you get some experience, especially when you're first trying to, to you know, start in the tech world with interviewing in general. 
but leave the ones that you really, really want to be a part of to be strategic and intentional. So create those relationships, reach out to people on the team. One thing that I've told people to do is, you know, reach out, have a couple conversations, maybe ask for a 15 minute coffee break, let them know that you're interested. And, you know, maybe even ask for a referral link if, you know, it's the right space, right opportunity and get referred. People don't realize this, but it's a lot more plausible to get a job from being referred than you just applying by yourself. So it's kind of the top three that I would say. Very good. A very good top three. And it, it requires a lot of energy, a lot of <laughs> it does. a lot of intentionality in order to be able to do that and stand out. And so mm -hmm. I definitely, you know, those that are watching, trying to get, become an SE, rewind that back, <laughs> go ahead and, 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 and really try to take those steps into heart. And honestly, that is actually advice that you, I would say for anybody, SDR, VDR, for sure. executive, like what you just said is really good information for anybody trying to break into tech period, mm -hmm. or even to begin to be promoted to another position in for tech. Sure. So. So you got to put yourself out there. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, I guess one, one last piece that I'd say as well, particularly to sales engineering more so is, you know, take the opportunity to learn a product really, really, really well that you know that you can demo at any day of the week. I think being able to send a sample of what you presenting looks like is also a way for you to stand out. So if mm. you want to, for example, send a follow-up to that hiring manager and say, yeah, you, you know, hey, I'd love to show you a presentation that I've had. I know that, you know, if, if given the opportunity, this is something that I can repeat at your company. And here are the top three things that, you know, looking at your website, I think would be important to highlight or something like that. Shows you did your homework, but also gives them a taste of how you interview your, inter your, your presentation style, uh, how you are as a public speaker. And then, you know, that they might consider moving you quicker than someone who's just sending in their resume. That is excellent. That's doing the job to get the job. And actually, you know what? I'm going to actually steal that for <laughs> SDR and BDRs as well. For example, like when we do what, what a lot of SDRs and BDRs have to do is they have to do a cold call to set up the set up the meeting. So I'll basically say, hey, do a, a mock cold call and do and then just kind of do add a little discovery in there, you know, get some specific yeah. questions, situation, problem, implications and need payoff get they some stuff be cold calling that hiring manager yeah or exactly and be like hey let me let's let, let me show you that i could do the job so that i could get the job very good i like that a lot uh we don't the way you put it i think a lot of people should really kind of encapsulate that and just like run with it uh <laughs> run with Absolutely. that <laughs> yeah no. i mean I, I honestly wish portfolios were more of a thing in the sd world uh mm. maybe that'll change but i feel like having a ready to go portfolio is something that you should have like some sort of technical writing documentation, some sort of video or presentation, um, maybe even, you know, some proof of how you answer security type questions, just a base, a baseline level, like, Hey, this is how my work, you know, looks like. Yeah, I think that would be excellent. I think that'd be excellent. And, and the reason why I'm, I'm kind of staying here for a little bit is because and I'm not saying this is learnful, but there are some boot camps that have advertised for the SE role. And a lot of people have been struggling getting that particular role. And so, sure. I, and like people are like, I'm done with this. Some people have decided to become an SDR, BDR like me, call like I'm yes. calling it a day. 
But I know for a fact that the tech industry needs SEs. It's not even like, sure. uh, you know, we could do without them. No, it's like that. It's like so in demand right now, and it's so yeah. competitive. How can someone really get a competitive edge in this field? Because they're go they're going sometimes against mm -hmm. people that are either their peers that are just leaving yes. a boot camp, or and somebody that's experienced like yourself. Yeah, well, there, there's a couple things that I guess I want to say, which is one, you know, I've done a boot camp. I, I did a technical, you know, coding boot camp. Um, I think in general, the disconnect with boot camps is that they promise you to get a job quickly. When the truth is that when you're when you're changing careers or it's your first job in general, it's almost always the hardest one to get. And so things mm. really need to line up. <laughs> for you to have, you know, an opportunity that was considered quick. So for example, in my story, I generally make it seem like I became an SE and it happened so quickly and it was just out of luck. But during my master's, I had spent a year and a half applying to any role, a cafe, as a junior web developer, like anything you can think of. And so it didn't happen overnight and it certainly didn't just happen by luck. The big difference was I was doing my master's, so I knew that I didn't need a full-time job, but I wanted to start getting experience on the rejection, on the you know opportunity to uh, become a better interviewer, because at the time I didn't have that much experience interviewing as a whole. I never worked in tech. So for me, that, ex that experience was, I'd be happy if I got a job, but I don't think that I will get one, and I didn't. And it wasn't until almost a year after my master's and you know six months after doing the coding bootcamp that I ended up getting a role. So that's one. Um, understand that it's not going to happen overnight. And in general, I would probably say, you know, three months is, is likely quite quickly for you to get a new role. Six months might be something that is a little bit more realistic, that six to nine months when you are changing from one career to the next. The other is there's far less SE roles than there are AE and SDR roles. So it's also being strategic about where you want to work as an SE. The question you asked Joseph is, you know, how do you how do you stand out? I think one, there is an easy way to stand out, uh, which doesn't require you learning too much, which is apply to places that have something to do with what you're doing, right? Yeah. So if you work, um, let's say at a hospital, work at a health tech company, you know, make that the first place you pivot into. And so if you work in education, make that an ed tech company, right? Like and, and if not, what's the skill closest to an industry that you can align yourself with? If it's not where you work, maybe it's interest-based. If you have a lot of knowledge about cars or something like that, maybe it's a tech company that has something to do with cars, right? I, I don't know what that is, but auto that's tech the easiest thing. Yeah, auto tech, exactly. For, for me, it was aligning my language skills. I basically knew that I had no experience as an SC, but I had experience living in Germany, I had experience speaking German. And so I aligned that with the role because they did question me, you know, like why here and why do you wanna be an SE? You've never been an SE, you know, how do we know you're gonna be good at your job kind of thing. And so that is the one easy thing you can do. The other is if you are certain for a cer about a certain industry that you wanna work yourself uh, or you wanna work in, then make sure to stand yourself out by finding a certification that would be relevant, even if it's entry level, but that shows them that you're going to put in the work to learn. And you can also, if you happen to interview, tell them what your plan is for future certifications or how you 
uh, plan on leveling up or learning more and how you also plan on them supporting you? Because that's important. Like, where do you see them supporting you? When you answer in this manner, it shows them that you're looking for a place where you want to grow and you want to make sure that they're helping you grow. Um, so those, those are kind of the top two things. At a baseline level, I generally tell people, know what single sign-on is, um, know a little bit about data privacy if you can, like what is GDPR, what is ISO 27001, what is a SOC compliance. So generally, like I give them a baseline, know that, know what APIs are, how to work, maybe, you know, um, look at Postman. Postman has a student learning certificate that you can do. Look at that, get that. That way, at the very least, you can put that on your LinkedIn and it says that you are API, uh, I think it's called Postman certified or something like that. Mm. And so in that case, they know at a baseline level the things that you should know. And most SE roles, will, you know, you should know about APIs because most companies have them. Um, yeah. To a certain degree, you should know about data privacy. If you don't know it in the beginning, you'll need to know it as you grow as in your SE career. So if you know about those things earlier on, that can help you know, make you stand out. So that's typically what I highlight top three things, you know, that can help you move in the right direction. That's that, that was great. I think showing them kind of goes that, back to what you said about that portfolio. Like if you could show them the knowledge that you have, take those transferable skills to kind of put yourself in a better position, you'll be sitting pretty. It's going to take time, exactly. but you'll eventually get there. Uh, and talking about having people get prepared for success, let's go into Learnful. Now, Learnful very much intrigues me because of the way you guys do things. I did the math, and I could be off a little bit by a couple of digits, but you basically have around 120 students a year, you know, on average, I would say. I don't know if you guys increase the numbers or not, but the class size is very small. Yes. It's very intimate. I've spoken to a graduate of the program. He loved it. Uh, he's now yes. getting ready to apply for jobs. And the, the graduate that I spoke to actually had a background. Uh, as a coder um and they oh, basically yeah. was, was it albert i believe it no it was somebody else i'll tell you afterwards okay. though <laughs> but like okay, they, okay. yeah they're looking to make that transition and they're like man this was so good they really spoke highly about learnful and so yes. that really got me especially because i spoke to nigel i wanted to kind of talk about it a little bit more and how you prepare students for success because sure. i could just and you could clarify you could talk about what learnful exactly is uh, but it, just to clarify for the audience, from my understanding, it's all pre-sales. That's SDR, VDR, yes. SE, all of those are included. Can you talk how you how you prepare your students for success through Learnful? Yeah, so, so Learnful in general is a alternative or kind of a boot camp, if you will. It's about six weeks long, so definitely shorter than others. And we're continuously improving on the format of the boot camp, depending on you know what the feedback was that we got from a previous cohort. We certainly haven't been as uh, around as long as some of those other boot camps that you know you you alluded to or mentioned. However, one main difference is that we are looking to serve people who look by us by us, and so that is one big difference. When I look at other boot camps, one, you're not included. Two, it almost in some way, shape, or form feels predatory that they only look for people like you and then don't really help you in the way that they advertise. And so that really isn't what we wanna do. So on the one hand, we have our curriculum. The curriculum is and was designed essentially by us. So instructors, people who were sales engineers for um, various you know, years at different organizations. 
And we go through things that are quite basic. What is sales engineering? What does your role look like? What are you supposed to do? But we also have classes like introduction to computer networking and API. And so for example, the Postman certificate is part of a class that they have to take so that they have something to show when they you know, finish their bootcamp as well from an API perspective. And there's a number of things in between. We're looking at everything from soft skills to, to a certain degree, as much as you can prepare technical skills uh, in a bootcamp, right? We're not gonna make you a coder. That's definitely not something we're promising, but we wanna make sure that you understand some basic things that you're gonna have to understand at your you know, day to day. Um, the other is we're not sugarcoating if you didn't pass, right? Like we're not gonna graduate you just because you paid. And I think that that is something that our students actually re really, really appreciate. And in many cases, we've had students who have to repeat what graduation looks like. So in order for a student to graduate, they have to, um, one, we have a mock interview with them. Two, we have a discovery type session that they might have as sales engineers. And then three is a demo as well. So if they don't do well in either one of those or three of those, they have to repeat those essentially until we're pleased with the result and they get very detailed feedback on what that looks like. So again, that's really how we you know, are, are different, differentiating ourselves to a certain degree. Um, there will be future improvements, things that we're looking at doing. One thing that, you know, we may do in the future is making it longer, but having the first couple of weeks a little bit self-served and then moving on to have more practice within the live uh, classes. Because one thing that we do get a lot of feedback on is we want to practice more. Like even with all the classes that are designed around practicing, it's, you know, when someone's transitioning, they always feel like I could have more. So, uh, you know, we want to make sure that they're also getting more at-bats. I like that. I like that because it, it, it is a new skill. And it's one of those things that it's one thing to kind of be in an incubated sort of like setting. But it's another thing to be put in the real world where the expectation is you should know this. And you're like... I wish I had more time to talk about this professionally before I was put in this situation. So I like the fact that you guys are kind of treating this like this, this, this living organism that mm. is continuing to develop and evolve. And I think it's going to definitely draw more people. And, and the one thing I love is not just only the, the course itself in the re regards to how intimate it is, but the caliber of instructors. I like the fact that you literally have people that are really working well in the field. You know, they're established. Um, they could really help people kind of navigate this. And I had a question just talking, just listening to you talk. Let's say there's somebody that basically has no idea what they want to do, right? Mm -hmm. They heard about being a sales engineer. They heard about being an SDR. Would you recommend them coming to Learnful to kind of be that place where they could kind of figure out their way or should they know what they want to do prior to coming into Learnful? I mean, I think that's an interesting question. I, I would want to say you have a strong desire to be in a technical role. So in a technical sales role, um, does it have to be sales engineering? No, because you could become, a, for example, um, you, obviously you know that the, there's many titles for pre-sales. There's yeah. solutions consultant, there's solutions architect, there's you know, a gazillion different names, but they could be different. So pre-sales is one, but a solutions architect tends to be more post-sales. Mm -hmm. I would still consider you to come into this role whether you want to do pre or post, depending on where you're working though, right? Because a lot of post-sales jobs tend to be more technical. So do you want something even more technical than pre-sales? Um, those are things that you should consider. However, 
if you have no clue, I, I definitely suggest that you do a little bit more, you know, searching, realiz realization, understanding. The last thing that I want is for someone to feel frustrated or robbed because they were just told to do something, not having any idea of what they wanted to do. Um, I would never suggest that because, again, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that you succeed. But part of that is making sure that you know where you want to go and we're going to help you get there. Now, if you have no clue on where to go, I think that's an opportunity to soul search, speak to career coach, speak to other people. I would definitely suggest you reach out to sales engineers and find out, is that something that I can see myself doing before you make a decision? Because boot camps in general, I mean, they're, they're something you pay for. So it, it is an upfront, um, uh, there's an upfront cost included. There's you know a decision that has to be made. And you want to make sure that you're going to be happy in that role. Now, can you change down the line? Sure. Did you find another role that's closer to your fit? Sure. But mm -hmm. we want to make sure that before you come here, you understand your why. Because if you don't understand your why, you know, telling a story about yourself and where you came from and why you want to be an SC is not going to be compelling and is going to be something that people are going to have a hard time understanding and in turn will mean that you will have a hard time getting a role. I'm glad you said that. And I and I and I felt like you're going to say something similar to that, because, first of all, how exclusive it is, you know, literally you guys only have 20, 25 students, maybe 30. That's pushing it, really. But uh, 20, 25. <laughs> yeah, like 20 might be the max, you know. And so the re reason why I'm saying that is because I want the audience to, to hear that, because it's not just because you heard uh, maybe one testimony. It's not because you think that it's a cool thing to do or it might be something that mm -hmm. somebody suggested to you. You have to really kind of know this is what you want to do. Like when I became an S, I, I, I was, I heard about being an SC too before I even heard about being an SDR. But for me, when I looked at, I did a lot, a lot of research on being an SDR. I saw what it was. I listened to a lot of testimonials. I listened to a lot of different people talk about the role from different points of views, AEs, whatever the case may be. And I'm like, oh, that's something I kind of have experience doing already. So instead of being an SC, I'm going to lean to that because I like the idea of hunting. <laughs> I like to hunt. When it comes to being an SDR, or even like, and you know, my goal is to be an account executive and move on from there. But I love that that pursuit, right? Discovery. That's why I had to start this channel so I could get better at discovery. And so I wanted people to kind of hear that from an instructor, so they don't treat this as if it's like, well, I'm going to pay my money and I'm guaranteed a job. You know, no, 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 no. You got to understand yeah. what you're stepping into prior to, and. With that being said, I'm going to go into the next question that I have with you was the vetting process for this. Because I don't think anybody could just sign up and be like, here I am. I paid my money. No. Yeah. Could you cut, could, I don't know if you're, if you're capable of talking about it. If you're not, that's fine. But could you go into the vetting process that goes into sure. being a part of Learnful? Yeah. So Nigel's definitely going to have a lot more information on vetting for, for me since I personally don't vet as an instructor. However... Before, when someone's interested, obviously there's kind of an intake form that where they can express some sort of interest. From there, we set up a call where, where you understand, the, you know, the person a little bit more, their motivations. You know, maybe some t a time that they had to learn something that was complex. Basically, you want to understand: is this something that they would do? Two, would they participate as they go through it? Because a lot of the, the the classes that we have are interactive. 
And so we have several classes throughout the week that are not just instruction based, but they're activity based. Mm. And, you know, there's the one thing we don't want to have is someone who doesn't want to participate in something that was designed to make them better, right? Or or to make them get one step closer to where they want to go. So we're, we're really vetting in many ways uh, for what most companies would call a culture fit. I don't love that phrase culture fit. Um, It's not for me, but you know, I, I would say more like, are they a culture ad? Are they mm. adding to our team? Are they adding to the rest of the students that are going to be there? And are they serious about the steps that it take afterwards? So that's another thing that we're considering as well, which is, you know, will they put in the work to apply to the places? You know, obviously we're going to help them. We also have mentors um, that help them with things that we don't in, in our own class or, you know, supplementary things. So one of the things that they tend to focus on, especially with people who are transitioning, is the tell me about yourself story. That is something mm. that I've got to say, for as basic as it sounds, is not something that people tend to do well. They don't know what their story is. And oftentimes, their biggest hang up is, well, I can't tell a beautiful story like you because you have years of experience. Mm. But people forget I also came from there. You know, yeah. I came from a spot where it wasn't a tech role. And in fact, my background was all social science. And so it's not about, you know, it's really changing that mindset. It's not about where you are today and where you want to go. It's, it's where do you want to go? And what are the skills that I have today that'll make me stand out? How do I emphasize Mm. those skills? And so that's what people aren't realizing. And that's where our mentors focus um, on top of, you know, making sure that they know where to look, how to look for jobs. That's another thing. Oftentimes, a lot of these boot camps um, don't really tell people how to look for information. Like, where do you find an SE job? Because the thing is, it's tough to look for an SE role. They're often not listed on most job boards. So you really Mm. need to know the ones where you can already find them. Otherwise, you're going to go to a place that only has one and it's a senior SE role. So Mm. understanding this as well is kind of what we're looking for. But yeah, overall, the process is intake form and then we have some sort of a meeting and then generally Nigel and some others on the team decide is this a fit and this is someone that we want to pass through and if you know there's there's a reason why not we try to question ourselves as to why but make sure that you know we tell those students if these things change or if we see improvement in these areas we're happy to reconsider nice nice and, 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 and as we're beginning to wrap it up, I just want to say thank you again, Manny, for, for just all this information that you're providing. I know it's helpful to me and hopefully to my audience. I believe that they could really gain a lot from just learning more about Learnful. And you were alluding it a little bit to when you were talking about not being able to find work and things like that nature, not being able to tell their story. What kind of support can a student that graduates from Learnful expect after post the program? What kind of support that could they get from Learnerful? Yeah, you know, one of the things you mentioned is we're quite intimate. And and so even as an instructor myself, even for the first cohort where it's been, you know, three months now, I will reach out to them individually or we have a kind of um, channel on uh, LinkedIn Mm -hmm. where I reach out and say like, hey, I found a role that could be perfect for you, you know, go ahead and apply. But in general, the entire team is available. So not just mentors. We obviously make sure that we're reaching out to understand where people are in their job search, where they need support, but they're also empowered to reach out to us individually. So if someone, for example, 
uh, needed help with the resume, which happened about a week and a half ago from our second cohort. And there's like, listen, I'm just now starting to become more comfortable um, reaching out. This is where I need some help with. And so we went through the resume and I said, listen, this completely needs to change. This is what I want you to do. Um, I'm not going to tell you what to change word for word, but basically this is a general prompt. Do these things. Let's meet up again in a week and you can walk me through what you've changed. So again, I'm always making sure that I'm coaching so that people are self-sufficient and I can help and support where needed. Um, but again, they're able to reach out to any of us. We also go ahead and reach out to them and understand what's needed. Um, as part of their mentorship, traditionally, they're also given packets that have a ton of information on how to job search, what a job search, how to, you know, how to answer questions, how to ask questions in interviews. So those are all things that they obviously continue to use as they start looking for a role. Um, yeah, that's kind of what comes to mind uh, for, for, yeah, for, for post-sales support. I know that we're also trying to work on um, a partnership. We're much younger, again, than the other uh, boot camps, but we are looking for more official partnerships to make sure that we can do you know, quicker intros uh, for a lot of our students. At the moment, a lot of it tends to be, you know, resources we know or our own network. But that is one thing that we also do is we elevate our network for them. Yeah, I actually, the, the graduate that I spoke to, one of the things that they mentioned is that somebody from Learnful reached out to them and said, hey, where are you? Like, how's it going? Exactly. And that got the fire to him. They're like, you know what? Yeah, I just finished graduating. I was going to take a little bit of time, but let me get into this. And so it's our applying for jobs. And so I just wanted to kind of highlight that because that's something that, you know, sometimes you, a lot of people may graduate from a tech boot camp. I'm a proud graduate of course careers. They really helped me to land an SDR job and, and I probably rep them to this day. Uh, but they may, they may lose that motivation to move forward because of whatever mm -hmm. setbacks they may have in their personal life or professionally. Yeah. And to have some, and have that support from uh, a group like Learnful where they're basically really like, I won't say they're holding your hand, but you guys are really kind of like guiding them along the way, championing them and saying, hey, let's go. Let's do this thing. And I think that for that sure. is what a lot of people are looking for. Some people really, really need that. Yeah, some people are for more, sure. more, you know, because they're their own thing. They're like, yeah, I got this. But some people really, really need that support. And and that's one thing I really appreciate about it. And, sure. that, and I'm going to leave you on this note. We've been talking for some time and this has been really good. I wanted to ask you, because most of the times they do this, uh, they, they ask for like a day in life and things like that. But what I want to ask you <laughs> is for more or less, like, what would you consider like your pros about being an SE versus the cons about being SE or things that are a little bit more challenging? So pros for me, I love being in a customer facing role. So this is a personal pro. I guess anything that I should say is take this with a grain of salt. Everyone's going to have different pros and cons, but I really love being in a customer facing role. I, in general, have always had customer-facing roles, even when I was a waiter in college or I worked at, you know, an overnight desk clerk at a hotel. I've always worked with customers. So for me, having that interaction is important. I love storytelling. I love pre presenting. So all those things for me are pluses. You're always learning. One of the things that I thoroughly enjoy is learning anything. And so being in a role that prioritizing prioritizes learning is something that I appreciate, I love. For some people, that could become overwhelming too quickly. But I think that for me, it's it's just part of who I am. I've always loved learning. In the last several years that I've been an SE, 
I've gotten a data analytics certification. I've gotten a uh, certificate for one of the places that I worked, which was Better, Better Cloud um, IT Fundamentals. I got a Google's IT Fundamentals course. I took a storytelling course at Akimbo. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So for me, I prioritize that. What do I not like? One thing that is tough is balancing a, working with a lot of people. And that is something that becomes really difficult as an SE because unlike being an AE and to a certain degree SDR, we don't control our calendars. Now, I don't wanna say this to say, you know, when someone says jump, you jump. No, I mean, you definitely work with people on a team and so it should be a bi-directional relationship. However, with that being said, no one needs to consult you to put something on your calendar many times, right? If the time is free, if they can take it, they're going to take it. Even if you just didn't put a block because you forgot or you were busy or whatever it is. So I think that is the main thing that has brought me some sort of like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Um, but I have been in other roles and then I realized I missed being messy. So ultimately it's just something that I need to put up with, but that's a big one for me that is tough is you're, you're not an owner of your time in, in, in many ways. Um, one thing to note is that co uh, the culture of the company also influences that a lot. So mm. I will highlight that because it varies from place to place. Yeah, it's so true. When you when you said that the SE doesn't have their time, I remember many times getting on a call with a, with the AE and the and a and a POC, a person of contact, and 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 we're like, all right, we we just finished the demo. We're we're, we're team. Well, well, we call it pinging. We're pinging each other, and we're like, okay, yes. uh, we need this AE. Try to get them on the list. Da, 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 da. <laughs> so I look at the calendar. I was like, boom, I got for this day and whatever the time. Da, da, da. They're good. They're free. So we and then we put a time on there. We don't even record. Like, we didn't talk to them. We're just like, hey, could you, yes. could, you could you do this after the fact? Uh, this we really want you for this one because you're you're really knowledgeable about this particular market mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be. And so it's funny that you said that because so many times I've I've thought about that. I'm like with AEs, I had to kind of like, okay, can, can we move to this yeah. thing? You know, with, but for the SCs, it's just kind of like the expectation is like you got to be there. Um, yeah, that's the expectation is you got to be there. And also the expectation is you need to be the most malleable person in a room. And so what I mean there is you need to adapt the quickest to anything, to people, to situations. And so depending on who you are as a person, that can be tough. Um, yeah. I would say not so much for me, the adaptability part isn't, but you know, sometimes it can be when it comes to personalities or how people communicate with you, that can be tough if you're not used to a certain communication style. Yeah. And so dealing with all these different people, you have to kind of be like that chameleon exactly. in the room that you, the, as the colors change, you change with the colors. Exactly. And uh, one thing that was interesting, that was actually put into play in my job that I thought might be very interesting now that you brought that up. And this is, this is Audience, this is more of a sidebar. We're just having a conversation right now because I just thought about it. it was so interesting. <laughs> well, we have like a load balancing sheet when it comes to the SMEs, what we call subject matter mm -hmm. experts in my company, um, where basically they're they're different. They're like a two, they're like three tiers. You got to go through the first tier first, and the maximum they mm -hmm. can have is two for that particular day. Then you go to the second tier, then you go to the third tier, and that's how they kind of uh, that's how they kind of arrange it so that it's not like you. Everybody's looking for that superstar SE uh, to grab that. <laughs> you got to go through some sort of protocol. Um, but within that, you still have some people that you know have the expertise in whatever market that, you're, that your POC mm -hmm. is coming from. But man, this, this is, this is going to be a conversation that we could have again, because I think that uh, there's a lot more that we could extract, especially as New Yorkers. We could talk 
um, for sure. We sure can. Uh, that's what, what one of our own problems. <laughs> yeah, talking and walking fast and uh, not having patience yes. of course. To like get out of the way, you know, <laughs> get out of the way. But thank you so much, Manny, for being on here with me. I definitely am happy that you are my first guest that I had since my illness, and I'm and I'm I'm getting better. Um, I'm recovering, and I'm thankful for that. Again, thank you for all those that have been praying for me, have been sending kind words to me in my recovery. I do appreciate it. And I do thank you that uh, we're able to keep this going because I find this very important. This is therapeutic for me to have these conversations. And I think a lot of people can get a lot of value from it. So, so thank you, Manny. Thank you, audience. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Joseph. Thanks for having me. And, and you know, love to hear that you're, you're getting and feeling better. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, could, I just was looking at myself like both my eyebrows are going up. Cool. That didn't happen before. <laughs> Uh, so, so, uh, but besides that, thank you so much, everybody and family. Like I always say, until next time, I hope to see you on the other side. Take care.